God, as spring continues to unfold around us, we see signs of new and renewed life, the beauty of your creation waking up from winter. And this day, we celebrate the new life that you offer, the resurrected life of Christ, the beauty of Easter Sunday. Much like those earliest followers of Christ who were seeking a way of living that was different, that wasn't based on abusive power, that didn't allow justice for only a few, we long for wholeness for creation. We seek a way of living and a way of living our faith that extends love and grace to all people, no matter their circumstances. God, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ today, we also delight in moments of resurrection and new life that we find around us, life-giving choices, grace-filled relationships, encouragement offered more freely than criticism. In times when we wonder what will bring an end to suffering, why peace seems so elusive, and where hope is hiding, we pray that you will remind us of your steadfast love and mercy that you offer absolutely and completely to humanity. Fill us with the gifts of your Holy Spirit that we may be part of transforming your creation and bringing the good news of your joy to the world. As we follow the risen Christ, may we be reconcilers and peacemakers, living as he taught, living as he lived, doing our part to bring an end to oppression and injustice, and confessing when we just can't seem to get it right. God, we rejoice that you walk with us in our journey as disciples of Jesus, and we rejoice that in you there is new life and the greatest love. It is in your name we pray.
The witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to God, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her.
When it comes to Christmas, we know where to place everything because everything has its place. The tree and the ornaments on the tree, the babe in the manger, the lights on the house, the garland on the banisters, the wreaths straightly arranged, the decorations in the yard. The task of Christmas is to make sure everything is placed where it is supposed to be. And if changes are made, <laughs> then a meeting must be called to gain approval. Because everybody has their favorite decoration, which if moved or omitted, runs the risk of creating a bit of a stir. Christmas and its symbols are powerful and important. And the marketplace of merchandise and movies reinforces this perspective. It is part of what makes Christmas, Christmas. When it comes to Easter, we are not sure where to place anything, in part because what might take an entire storage area for Christmas tucks neatly into the corner of the closet for Easter. Easter is much less a production than Christmas. And the bunnies, the eggs, the flowers are not likely to have their assigned position. Easter is less predictable than Christmas. Christmas has a birth date of December 25th, while Easter, well, it comes sometime between late March and late April. And so people say things like, well, Easter's early this year or Easter is late this year, which it is, but it was still colder this year at Easter than it was at Christmas. <laughs> no one ever says things about the date of Christmas. We count down the days to Christmas, but Easter is more fluid. It's less precise. It's moving and it's changing and that is right because Easter is the great displacing, reorienting event of all time. There's no filled manger, instead an empty tomb. There's no glory to God from the highest heaven sung by a legion of angels filling the night sky, instead a couple of white clad figures in a cold tomb. There's no wisdom from an elder kinswoman meant to calm Mary. Instead, a mysterious figure mistaken to be the gardener questions Mary. Christmas gives us so many handles to hold, including that precious babe in our arms placed in a stable, and that's delightful. Or there's a star pointing to a house where magi go in and leave their gifts, and that is joyous. Easter gives us nothing to hold, and in fact refuses to be held, as Mary discovered in her conversation that first morning. Instead, Easter comes to hold us. Even the gospel writers are unable to get a hold of Easter, and that's no criticism. In fact, that may proclaim Easter's best truth. Easter is on the move 
from the very first moment. Only a few days before, we'd been witness to what happens when certain forces in the world seek to nail down life. Easter will not be nailed down, will not be held, will not be controlled, will not be manipulated, will not be domesticated. And the gospel stories reflect that truth. The earth quaked, wrote only Matthew, and we know Easter has the potential to shake the foundations of how we live. In Mark's first story of Easter, the women who had gone to the tomb with spices because Jesus's burial had been quickly expedited on Friday and Saturday was Sabbath, those women return from the tomb terrified and they say nothing. And we can understand that. In Luke, the committee of men huddled somewhere simply don't believe the report of the several women who showed more courage than they in venturing to the cemetery. In Matthew, Jesus makes a very brief appearance the morning of resurrection, but in Mark and Luke, it is only mentioned that Jesus has been raised. Author Frederick Beekner offers this insight about Easter. If the gospel writers had wanted to tell it in a way to convince the world that Jesus indeed rose from the dead, they would presumably have done it with all the skill and fanfare they could muster. But here, there's no skill, no fanfare. The narrative is as fragmented, shadowy, incomplete as life itself. When it comes to just what happened, there can be no certainty that something unimaginable happened. There can be no doubt. What the gospel writers are telling us is that Easter cannot be known in the way we know Christmas. Easter cannot be held in the way we hold Christmas. There's no putting Easter in its proper place. Instead, there is only being displaced by Easter's most improbable grace. We plan Christmas. We receive Easter. We do Christmas. We live Easter. Because Easter seeks to live in and through us, in and through the church, in and through the world that God so loves. Easter speaks our particular names and transcends death. None of us can get our minds around Easter. Instead, we can open our lives to Easter. And today, we hear John's version of resurrection, which was written several decades after the other gospel stories were recorded. John's version of the Easter story details a poignant intimacy not told by the other gospels. John says Mary alone went to the tomb while it was still dark. The other Gospels have the sun already up or dawn breaking on the horizon. In John, 
it is pitch black. And that is the deepest truth of Easter. It happens while it is still dark. Because Easter begins in hopelessness and hurt and horror. We remember in John's gospel, dark is not simply a time of night. It's a condition of despair. And we remember something else. John begins his gospel in the time before time had been created, in the dark and formless void where God's power brings hope to the chaos and light to the dark. And John writes one of the most important lines in all of scripture, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. The God who spoke light into existence raises the one who is called light of the world. And we need that reminder. We need that reminder that is both creation's proclamation and Easter's proclamation. Because for the last two years, we have known too much darkness. The specter of a global pandemic and the many challenges that have ensued. The bitter rhetoric, too easily voiced on electronic platforms or bumper stickers or ideologies that show little or no evidence of basic civility. The unconscionable inhumanity of war and its attendant greed and indifference. As it is with us, so it was with Mary on that first morning. And John focuses on Mary alone, surrounded not by others, but only by darkness. John emphasizes how much Mary weeps, and we can see her bent and grieving. And with that stone rolled away, she concludes what we would have concluded, that it wasn't enough to have crucified Jesus. Now, they won't even let him rest in peace. She tells Peter and this mysterious beloved disciple who sprint to the tomb, but that part of the story seems inconsequential. Because all John says about that is, they believe, is that they believe something, but we aren't sure what it is they believe. And maybe they aren't sure either. And then after the foot race, Mary is asked by two mysterious figures why she is weeping. Her response, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. That response carries weight far beyond that moment. Because we know in the intervening years, all kinds of groups have taken Jesus and placed him. Placed him at the front of a crusade or the justification of an ideology or the legitimization of exclusivity or the explanation for prosperity. But we remember, Easter cannot be held, placed, 
controlled. And only a moment later, Mary realizes the truth of John's gospel proclamation, that God does not stop creating and that God is not limited by the worst humanity can do. For God brings life from death, something from nothing. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. One of the mysteries only John tells is that as Mary hears her name spoken and realizes who names her, she naturally reaches out to hold him, which the risen Christ will not allow. That seems odd, almost cold at first, until we realize that resurrection is not about our holding on to the old world in which even Jesus walked, but is instead about living into the new world that Easter ushers in. It's the kind of world where mercy and compassion lift the weakest and the most defenseless. It's the kind of world where welcome of the stranger takes precedent over naming of the enemy. It's the kind of world where concern for the common good matters more than interest only in one's own good. It's the kind of world where hate-fueled supremacy is transformed into love-filled neighborliness. It's the kind of world where those who grieve for whatever reason are not left to weep alone. It's the kind of world where truth spoken in love matters more than words uttered in expediency. It's the kind of world where swords as weapons or words are turned into tools of civilization, cultivation, and encouragement. It's the kind of world where people stop clinging to the world they want it to be and instead are held by and work toward the world God creates it to be. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Easter comes to hold us to that great truth. The last time we gathered for Easter, before the global pandemic, it was 2019. Does anybody remember life before the pandemic? Do we remember what happened that week? Anybody recall? Notre Dame Cathedral burned. And it was stirring to see how many people grieved that. What we may not remember is that three other churches burned that same week, all of them in the same parish in Louisiana. Burned not by any carelessness or electrical spark during a remodeling project, but burned by the heinous torch of racism, whose white-hot hatred seeks to fan the flames of division and despair. As David Davis tells the story, 30 members 
of the Greater Union Baptist Church, along with their pastor, gathered in front of the ashes on Easter, and they were looking right at the camera. And in the middle of the group stood a young girl holding a bouquet of white flowers. The reporter told of the congregation standing together as a body, unbroken, undamaged, as witness to the force of love in a time where hatred tries to conquer and destroy, witness to the future God calls us to live. Author and poet Wendell Berry calls that practicing resurrection. There is a man who stops by the church occasionally. Most of the time, he is not friendly. Most of the time, he is not rational. Most of the time, his language is not church language. Most of the time, he is sure we are about to call the police. Most of the time, he is not grateful for our attempts to help. Not long ago, while quietly walking with him through the building, while the voices he heard held him captive, even as he clutched a bag held close to his chest, he was told the truth about Easter. Tommy, God's love is for you. Did you know that? Did you know that? He seemed not to know that. Or he believed so much else that other people had told him about his life. But he was silenced in the news of that moment. See, whatever tries to hold us in its destructive sway, we remember the risen one who calls our name. Mary, Tommy, you, me, the whole world. We remember Easter holding us in the greatest truth of all. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. <laughs>